0: Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin.
1: Hey, everybody, it's Jeff DeWoskin back for another amazing bonus episode here to serve up some of the best of Crossing the Streams right to your ears. What is Crossing the Streams? It's our live show. Me and a bunch of pals, we get together and we talk about TV shows and movies. You should be binging and streaming on the million streaming services you have. This show is the ultimate answer to your eternal question. Hey, I just finished. Now what should I watch? We're here for you. The podcast episodes serve up three segments from the vast catalog of live shows that we've done. You can also join us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and the Fireside Chat app. We love when our fans chat along with us. This episode, we got some great shows to talk about from episode 47, The Devil Next Door, all about Ivan the Terrible, an amazing sitcom from episode 20, Grace and Frankie and from episode 39 malice at the palace served up by our host Howard Rosner who was actually at the palace when the malice took place so that's a special segment coming up in a few but first let's kick it off from live episode 29 Grace and Frankie with our guests from that episode Jimmy Starr and Ron Russell take it away Jimmy Grace and Frankie Jimmy that's Star. mine Jimmy that's Star. My-
0: You guys, this is a great show, first of all. It's on Netflix. Uh, Anybody can watch it. It's got six seasons, I think, on Netflix. It's a lot of fun. It stars Jane Fonda, Lily, Tomlin, Sam Waterston, and Martin Sheen as the main characters. But then the backup characters like who play their kids and everything is Brooklyn Decker, Ethan Embry, June Diane Raphael, Baron Vaughn, and uh, and they're terrific. I'm a really, really big fan of... uh, of Ethan Embry, uh, if you guys remember him from like oh, uh, oh, Empire, Empire, oh Empire Empire Records too. Empire Records was a great yeah. show. So basically, this show is great. It's got six seasons. It has all kinds of guest stars. And basically, it's about two guys it's who Rick's are parting. Part, two guys who are a, yes, it's Rex Manning Day. Two guys who are like lawyers together. They've had a law firm together. One of them's married to. To uh, Lily Tomlin, one of them's married to Jane Fonda. They come, uh, invite them out to dinner one day to tell them that they're leaving their wives because they've actually been lovers for like 30 years and they want to like get married and and dump their wives. And then the whole show ensues after that, how you have, you know, how they split up the houses and what they're going to do and what the ladies now are going to do to support themselves. And Grace and Frankie are are the actual two female characters. Uh, in it, and they're really the stars, Jane Fonda and Lily Lily Tomlin. and it's it's really hilarious the way they do everything. They have to like figure out a way to support themselves. Uh, so they become they make like uh, female vibrators and, dildos. You know, and and dildos and stuff. and it's hilarious the way the whole thing works out. Um, and it's really got something for everybody because it's got young cast members for young people it's got the older cast members for old people the story is hilarious and there's all kinds of great cameos like Ernie Hudson comes in and Peter Gallagher comes in and and you see a lot of old time actresses and actors you know that are like in their 70s that you don't even really recognize because they didn't age all that well my friends but his kind of friends and it really is a good show I would recommend it. I really think it has somebody for every uh, something for everybody actually and June Diane Raphael I think her name is who plays the daughter. She was recently in. I don't know if you guys saw that Charlize Theron movie where she ran for president. The comedy with her and Will Ferrell. Wonderful. A, that uh, that hilarious one. Well, she was the one who played uh, Charlize Theron's main like aide or whatever. The blonde who like was in charge of everything. She's, great. she's, a, she's a phenomenal actress, and uh, and Brooke, I think she's Brooklyn be is
2: fabulous.
0: That's the one I met, Brooklyn Decker. That's Brooklyn what I meant. Decker.
2: You said the she, wrong name. No, I, I, Brooklyn Decker. Really, uh, she she nailed it. Yeah, she's hilarious. She's just the best. I mean, you you wait for her to
0: come on screen. That's how good she is. Yeah, Brooklyn. Have you guys? Have any of you guys seen any of Grace and Frankie? I've
1: seen. I've seen. I I think I've seen the first season. It's it's a good show. I I I think once it went on hiatus the one time, I just they never. It was never one of those shows on Netflix that they you know they just put out fireworks whenever it came back. So I never, never saw it when I never always missed it when it was coming back. So now I'm so far behind on it. I got to convince my wife. It's a great show, though. It's a really great show. It
2: appeals to older audiences. That's why the younger people don't know it or get it. All of my uh, people at my age or younger, they, they watch it and they love it because there's a lot of stuff in there about Jane Fonda, you know, her hips are bad and she can't do this and a lot of stuff that older people are going through right now. And they've been able to make it fun. So it kind of eases the pain that some of the older folks have. We all
1: love the Kaminsky method. I, mean, oh, I love that. I I love love the that. Kaminsky we method. love that
2: show too. Michael does a Jane, wonderful
3: job. Jane Fonda's range comically and her, just the sarcastic sense of humor. Like she was fantastic on the newsroom on HBO. She, her sense of humor was so yeah. great and sarcastic and dry but hysterical I, I'm I've always been a big fan of look at her the New I, woman.
2: I've, I've been in Jane Fonda's <laughs> company three times I believe I've been in her company once was in Connie Stevens's uh, health Farms store because she she had her aerobics thing across the street on Beverly from uh Connie Stevens who had a uh I don't they don't know. know who Connie Stevens Connie was Stevens was a big star we you know she was <laughs> okay, in, she, she was in
1: Greece. Yeah,
2: and she was in Paris in Hawaii, Hawaii 500 or something. But anyway, Jane Bonda, in real life is a, an extremely intelligent, well-spoken, well-informed woman. I don't think she's ever said anything that you could correct her on. She's a brilliant lady and quite beautiful for, uh, a, she's my age. You were exactly the same age. She's 81 also, uh, or going to be. Stunning woman. So you have good taste, my friend.
1: Thank you. excellent so that's a big thumbs up
2: jimmy
0: yeah it's a total big thumbs up Uh, i i I absolutely loved it and it just gets better and better and and i i think the first season they set set everything up and it was really good but it actually gets better after the first season because then you know who the characters are already and they introduce other characters and and when they start making like the dildos and the vibrators and the lube and stuff it's hilarious and lily
2: tomlin i met 60 years ago, before she was anybody, we were all working in a comedy club called The Improv in New York City. And Lily Tomlin was one of the comedians that night. And she just was different than most. And a lot of people said, boo, she's not going to make it. And what do they know? Look at Lily Tomlin, a superstar. And I met her girlfriend at the time, who was a stunning redhead, beautiful redhead girl. Uh, and they were together for like, <laughs> a lot of years and lily i don't think is with her anymore and when i see lily i'm going to ask her what happened to her beautiful red-headed uh lover
1: all right that was grace and frankie thank you ron russell and jimmy Starr with a little bonus lily tomlin trivia i bet you were not expecting next up ron Libet is going to take us through the documentary the devil next door and Ron is going to talk about, Ron is going to talk about The Devil Next Door. The
4: Devil Next Door. Yet another algorithm uh, from our friends at Netflix that put it in front of me. And I said, heck yeah, you know I love World War II. And you know I love mysteries. And you know I love documentaries. And you know I love things that don't really have full answers. Nice job, Netflix. So sure enough, uh, I did check this out. I, I was familiar with the story of John Demjaniuk just from what I read in the papers. And I, I had a... a a very, you know, distant understanding of exactly what uh, went on. And for those that, that don't know the story, John Demjanjuk was a, Ukrainian uh, dude who moved to uh, Cleveland after the war. He never tried to deny the fact that he had served in the German military, but what had turned out to be the issue for the United States was that he lied on his immigration forms. And it turned out that mm-hmm. he in actuality was being accused of being one of the most, if not the most notorious concentration camp guards at Treblinka in, in world history. In fact, uh, he was known uh, by the folks that had been at Treblinka Tribal, as Ivan the Terrible. And this was a moniker that followed him, right? And so uh, what had transpired was a long series of, of court battles uh, here in the United States, which ultimately uh, revoked his citizenship and sent him to Israel to be tried for uh, crimes against humanity. Now, mind you, they can't prove that the guy was Ivan the Terrible. All they can prove was that he he served in, in the German military, and just like many people did from the Ukraine, uh, and sure, he's a bad guy, and they definitely knew he lied on his immigration, but they couldn't prove that he was this man that was responsible for thousands and thousands of deaths. But what transpires in this five-episode documentary on Netflix, each episode, usually between 45 minutes and, and 60 minutes. It was a series of, at the time, and this is, we're talking in the 70s and 80s, and then ultimately in the 90s, a series of an ever-shrinking population of Holocaust survivors. I mean, this, this is an aging population at this point, And it was a series of age, aged people seeing this guy in the flesh for the first time since the war. And you could see the pain on their faces when they come to to get in front of this, of this John Demjaniuk because they recognize him for exactly who he is. And he is Ivan the terrible. And, and the documentary goes into great detail to point out all the absolutely horrendous things that I won't go into uh, in detail, but they do in the, in the documentary about just how much, Joy he got from the suffering of the people he put into the gas chambers and and so on and so forth. Without ruining the story because this is this is historical and and so I'm not ruining anything. He was found guilty. He was sentenced to death, uh, but then in the in the appeal there were problems. There were there were issues in the appeals. Um, there were issues with the credibility of a, a number of senile Holocaust survivors. There just were a lot of problems. And they ended up uh, finding him innocent. He moved back to Cleveland. And that's where the story uh, was supposed to end. Uh, But it didn't end there. Ultimately, the United States said, you lied on your immigration forms, we know that's a fact. You can't change that. And so they ended up deporting him finally and ultimately uh, back to Germany. And that's where he lived out the last days of his life in a home where he was very sick and ended up dying in Germany. That's the end of the story. But here's what you find out. This is the most interesting part about the documentary, that coming out of World War II, the United States was beginning to ramp up its its true engagement with, with the Soviets in the Cold War. And the fact is there were no more anti-communist people in the world than former Nazis. It's like you're talking about the polar political opposites, the fascists and the and the communists, right? And what you find out is that in the 40s and 50s, that this country of ours openly welcomed many former Nazis into the United States because they knew that they were tried and true anti-communists in the time of McCarthyism and, and whatnot. So it opens up a whole story about who we are as a country and what we stand for and, and what we welcome here as part of the fabric of the United States. And it's it's part of kind of the conversation today. Who are we? Like, what, what does it mean to be American? And uh, that was, I, I thought, the super interesting part of the end of the, the John, the John uh story. So it's a terrific documentary. They do a very great job. It's, it's hard to watch. I'm not going to lie. It's very detailed. And they talk in very very specific terms what happened. Um, but um, it is a very thought-provoking documentary. As you guys know, I love documentaries or any shows that make you think days and days and days after you watch it. And that this this uh, five-part documentary has done that.
1: Oh, interesting that you bring that up um, about... The Nazis coming to the United States. Because if you watched, and I don't think we've covered the show on the show Hunters on Amazon with mm. uh, Al Pacino. It's about a bunch of people hunting Nazis. It's loosely based on something called Operation Paperclip, which is a real life program authorized by the government. And welcome Germans and Nazis into the United, yeah, into the United especially States,
3: especially into the military apparatus. Right.
4: Well, they they spent a, a fair amount of time, Jeff, talking about um, Warner von Braun, yeah. uh, who was a n- notorious Nazi, but who spearheaded our, our rocket programming, basically got us to the moon ahead of yeah. the Soviets. He was fervently anti-Soviet and worked tirelessly for the Americans to to see to it that we were ahead of the Soviets.
0: Without von Braun, we would not have beat. The Russians to the moon.
4: No doubt. So it's so, you know, it's politics, right? And it's also optics, right? They, I think people were done with the war. And I think people, particularly Americans and Truman at the time, and then ultimately, you know, getting into McCarthyism, I think Americans, definitely the government were willing to wash their hands of the whole hatred of Germans and wanted to profit from what were some very good opportunities for the United States.
1: Yeah, it's just, it was all about being opportunistic and being able to just get what they could get. Regardless yeah. of of what they did before,
4: yeah, and I'll just say one last thing. We can we can move on, and that is they they go to great length to talk about how many former German and uh, Ukrainian and uh, people that served the Nazi regime came to the United States and worked in factories, Ford, GM, and about how. Fabulous of workers they were like that. Just as a community of people, they worked incredibly hard. They did their job. They were never late. They had a code of ethics that perhaps the suggestion that you know Native American and Americans who were in the country before the war would not have. So companies like Ford and GM really benefited from having folks from from Germany uh, come to our factories here in the states.
3: Interesting, hey Ron. It's this was not a. uh traditional netflix could have easily been an hour and a half <laughs> documentary instead they put it into five episodes was it
4: they definitely could have told the story of john danianyuk himself in, in one episode so there is some truth to that but it's a long story there were a lot of ups and downs and they tell a lot of it from the perspective of the people who suffered the most so i, I didn't think it was uh, unnecessary i thought it, i thought it was well done
1: good if you enjoyed ron's <laughs> review check out his other uplifting reviews and previous episodes you can check those out on most of them covering the nine eleven. this is
4: why you get me first jeff you, you hit me up now we can now we can benefit from all the positivity yet to come
1: All right, that was The Devil Next Door with Ron Lippett from episode 47. You love documentaries, you love history, definitely check that one out. We have one more documentary for you this episode. It's called Malice at the Palace. It was a big rumble between the Pacers and the Detroit Pistons that happened at the Palace of Auburn Hills in Michigan. Our very own Howard Rosner at the time worked for the Detroit Pistons and was at the Palace when the malice occurred. Enjoy this review and firsthand commentary. Take it away, Roz. Speaking so. of crimes, <laughs> yeah, one. let's talk about the Untold Story, which is a uh, Netflix series. <laughs> this one specifically, Malice at the Palace. Howard's going to take point on this, but I did watch it as well. A bunch of us did. So did Ron, yeah. So did Ron. And this is, uh, we're you know, we're coming to you live, most of us, from the great state of Michigan and Detroit. And not too far from the palace of which the Malice took place. So uh, Howard yeah. uh, was actually which there. is
3: Which no longer exists, by
1: the way. Right. And uh, they, well, they destroyed it at the end of the... Yeah, the tragedy of the. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah. So, uh, for our millions of viewers around the world that aren't <laughs> familiar, I was a vice president of marketing uh, for the Pistons by the time I left. So, when this happened in 2005, 2004, actually, sorry, the 04 season, you know, I was I was there. I was in the building. Um, I have my world championship ring that I'm wearing right wow, now for everybody to nice. see. Yeah. Thank you. It was so unbelievably surreal to be there so let me um i'll talk about the movie a little bit first so in the first couple of minutes i was skeptical about this film going in because it's Produced essentially by Jermaine O'Neill from the Pacers. Uh, I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be <laughs> horseshit. And then in the first couple minutes of the movie, they start talking about it. They're like, if anybody knew the real story. And my wife was watching it with me and she's like, you're going to be so pissed off by the end of this because it's all going to be skewed. Thankfully, it wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. It is skewed, certainly, to um, to frame them. It's uh, it's an interesting movie. There's some fantastic, um, never-before-seen, the security cams and stuff like that in slow-mo and some things like that. It was also great for me because some old friends of mine that I worked with are interviewed in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, seeing the footage, um, it's crazy. So uh, a couple of things. I- I'll just talk about that night quick, and then I'll give you some analysis. So that night was unbelievably unbelievably charged emotionally. I always tell people the biggest mistake in my eyes that was made about that night was the last game the Pistons and Pacers had played was the clinching game of the Eastern Conference Finals the year before. And in the last couple of minutes, and they show this in the film, Ron Artest basically puts a forearm shiver into Richard Hamilton's face, knocks him down on the ground, gets a technical foul that ended up really sealing the game in a clinching game in the final minutes. They hated each other, those two teams. And it was constantly physical in all the games of the playoffs. So that game was the first time, the Mouse at the Palace game was the first time they'd played since the playoffs. And they had a really junior officiating group, which was a humongous mistake. What's worse is when the pushing and shoving happens at the end of the game, the horrible officiating job was to let it go on, as opposed to immediately saying, Ron Artest, you're out. Ben Wallace, you're out. Get the frick off the court. Have security escort them off and defuse the situation. So I'll just talk about that night. So it was a crazy night. It was super emotionally charged, like I said. Everybody was on edge. It was a little hostile, certainly. I, for those who've never... I've never been to the Palace of Auburn Hills. The lower level suites at the palace opened up into the bowl, and then there was a sliding glass door. And then on the front of the suite or the back of the suite was a door that opened into the suite hallway. So my client was Quicken Loans, Rock Financial as they were called at the time, the presenting sponsor of the team, and I had it was the end of the game, Indiana hit two three-pointers, pretty much put the game out of out of reach. I walked through their suite to go to the grill restaurant bar where I was going to, you know, see some folks, maybe have a beer and kind of brush off the loss. I went over there and then saw the scrum happening on TV ran Back into the suite. And by the time I got back into the suite, all hell had broken loose. (laughs) Jesus. That suite was directly over the visiting player tunnel where all the footage of Mm. them getting everything dumped on them and everything. Mm. We, myself and the person who was managing their suite that night, we pushed everybody back into the suite. Closed and locked the sliding glass door because, frankly, we were terrified. It was out of control. It was insane. It was just absolutely an unbelievably crazy thing to see. And then I spent hours there after the game um, until about one in the morning, you know, got to kind of be a fly on the wall of watching our security folks and our upper management kind of go through some of the security tapes to try and figure out what happened and uh, see some of the people. The The kid who got cold clocked by Ron Artest in the stands, who was next to the guy that actually threw the beer, was they're like, did he throw it? And then one of the other guys is like, no, that kid had worked guest services at the Pistons previously. They're like, there's no way, whatever his name was, there's no way Jonathan did that. And he didn't. So it was an unbelievably weird event. The the most interesting um, things that I learned from the documentary that I never really knew. I never really knew how much the, there was animosity between Jermaine O'Neill and Ron Artest because of Ron Artest's craziness. And, the, and that they traveled that entire season leading up to it with a psychiatrist for him on the road. But then, you know, the voice of reason was Reggie Miller. Um, who's just such a a smart, thoughtful guy. That's why he's great as a color commentator now. And he made the the other comment that I always said is, the thing to me that always set everything off was why the officials let him lay down on the scorer's table was taunting the Pistons players and taunting the fans to do that. And it was just begging to happen, unfortunately. Just crazy. It's a good movie. Um, again, a little bit in my eyes, a little bit biased. You know, I don't think the Pacers took enough blame for uh, what happened. They tried to paint it as being victims, with the exception of our test. They all said our test was crazy person. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good watch. It's a quick hour watch.
4: So Howard, uh, first off, I, I completely agree. Uh, I think a lot of people agree that Ronettes laying on that scorers table lit the fuse to what transpired that night. But I, I just say this, and I, I said this to you earlier today. But I, I stand by this. When you watch this documentary, they show from three different angles this impossible shot that this guy with the beer threw. If you watch this in the in the in the documentary, he throws this beer thirty <laughs> feet up in the air. Like there's no if he had twenty more tries to do this, he could never repeat what this guy did. He threw this beer up in the air and it lands right on Ron Artest, whatever, fifteen rows down and off to the side. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. It's impossible. How do you and and the fact that this beer in the league, no? Right? Yeah. The fact that this beer lands. Dead center mass on, on Ron Artest, who's laying laying on that scoring table, and he goes berserk and, and charges up in the stands is, uh, you know, how this whole thing went down. But clearly, if Artest doesn't lay down, this doesn't happen. But I wouldn't go even further in saying, if this guy doesn't make this impossible beer shot, uh, this probably wouldn't have happened either
3: yeah it was uh it's yeah and again it never would have hit him if he was laying wasn't laying on the scorer's table yeah. you know that that's never going to get to him
1: that's
3: true. um at well, that, right guy no,
1: that guy had no right to throw that beer no I mean, no of
4: course, of course not. not yeah, yeah. No, no, well, no they no. also did... talked about they, there was only three police officers working that night. did you did you see that part of it yeah
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. there were and, only three and, people you know, yeah <laughs> it's 20,000 yeah. fans it wow. was crazy <laughs> um the I what about you know the guy the, who got clocked
0: by our test, I mean he uh, had to have sued, right? Uh, I
3: don't know if he did. I mean the guy who got clocked, who was on the floor, ended up getting charged. Um, yeah. you know I think criminal trespass and right. But the innocent guy who had his jaw that. busted or whatever, you know. I mean sure he had that. to have.
0: That, I mean that's that's a million dollar case right there, right? I, I'd love to know what yeah. happened with
1: that guy.
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't know to be honest with you. Um, the
1: guy in the floor was such a d bag, and like, oh, yeah. and still, even in the interviews now, like, no. thing, like, dude, you cross into their world with your fist. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, these, these people are eight feet tall, and, and uh, <laughs> well, you know, they're just going to destroy you. And it's yeah. it's always
3: really it's always really amazing if you've never had the opportunity to um, to sit in a floor seat, especially a front row floor seat for an NBA game. It, it is. It's literally the only seat of its kind in sports. There's no barrier between you and the action. You are feet away from, you know, and very often become part of the action. I'm going to lose somebody diving after a loose ball. It is an unbelievably uh, unique uh, way to see a sporting event. Uh, So how it hasn't happened more often is stunning, frankly. Um, you know, you see beer spills and stuff like that that affect the game. And obviously, there's tons of sh- crap talking. Um, I mean, it is, you know, Tim Smith, who is an old friend who was interviewed for it, you know, one of our heads of security, you know, he talked about it like, you know, people show up to games and, have a couple of drinks and they think there's no repercussions for being a douche and saying whatever you want to a player. I always appreciated, I saw, I think I tried to do the math, something like 400 plus NBA basketball games in my time with the Pistons. And I always appreciated fans that got on a player's case in a unique and funny way. And like one that stands out to me, I was sitting, I remember standing for the entire second half of the game uh, with Tom Wilson, the former president of the Pistons, um, who I love. We were laughing because there was a guy um, whose name was like Zarko Chibarkaba, uh, who played <laughs> for a golden state. I think every time he touched the ball, bo- it was these guys kept calling him Chewbacca. And every time he would touch <laughs> the ball, they'd go, ah, <laughs> that was one funny. of Like, that's a great, smart, heckle and we and tom, I just, i'll never forget tom and i just standing there laughing our asses up every time those guys did that like that that's good heckling
1: All right, that was Malice at the Palace. Head on over to live episode 39 on YouTube if you want to catch a glimpse of that bling bling Howard Rosner was showing to the camera his very own Detroit Piston Championship ring. It is quite a piece of jewelry to behold what an episode am i right malice at the palace grace and frankie and the devil next door you've got a lot of streaming homework ahead of you so i'm gonna say goodbye let you head over to the couch and start crossing your own streams we'll see you next week and of course join us every wednesday 9 30 p.m eastern time live for the live edition of crossing the streams or just wait for this bonus episode and we'll deliver it right to your ears either way i'm jeff dewaskin and we'll see you next time
0: Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.